Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. And welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, we have got an introduction to the menopause. And I'm joined by Kate Organ, who is a consultant clinical pharmacist with a specialism in menopause. And she also has a background and specialism in mental health. So in this episode, she just talks us through really nice and simply what is a menopause, what is a perimenopause. She highlights maybe some symptoms that some of us may experience. She highlights some resources that we can start to have a look at to educate ourselves. And she shares some of her experiences, which will be so helpful to so many people. We discuss hormone replacement therapy. We discuss lifestyle factors. I left this podcast just feeling really empowered and that I know more. And it's really important to have these conversations and not be embarrassed by them, not have them in like a closed, dark corner. The majority of the NHS workforce is female. So it is a subject that now or later we will experience either directly or be working alongside colleagues going through the menopause. And she invites us to look at menopause as a period of opportunity to think about our health and how we choose to manage that as we move forward. This episode was just super informative and I'm having lots of conversations with my colleagues and my sister. And even Monique and I mentioned on one of our podcasts about the perimenopause. So I think it's an important conversation to have without fear. And just like there is a growing movement to talking about our mental health, physical health, mental health, menopause, Nothing is off the table at the Business of Healthcare podcast. Enjoy, and I'll see you in the next one. Hey, Kate, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, Tara. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. So I reached out, I think somebody recommended me to you on social, but I wanted to speak to a menopause specialist because my sister was like, I feel really tired. Maybe it's a perimenopause. Everything is a perimenopause. And Mm. my colleague Valentina and I speak about it because we're trying to work out what do we need to think about? How can we plan for the future? So I was a bit like, maybe we should stop trying to Google it and let's just, <laughs> let's just go to the expert. So could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I'm Kate Organ. I'm a British Menopause Society menopause specialist. I'm actually a consultant clinical pharmacist rather than a medic by background. I'm probably one of the only consultant clinical pharmacists with that qualification in the UK, actually. 
I'm also founder of the Menopause Specialist. We are a private healthcare provider specializing in menopause, perimenopause, PMF and PMDD care for women. And I have a long history of working in the NHS in psychiatry and mental health services, actually. And that's probably where my interest in hormone related health stem from, because I started to notice that women in our psychiatric consultations in the MDT were suggesting that their hormones were impacting their mental health. And in psychiatry, we had no training about that at all. And we dismissed it out of hand. And I feel extremely guilty about that now, in hindsight, knowing what I do know now about hormones and the impact on our mental health, but also the psychological symptoms of the menopause. It didn't really rest well with me that women were saying that their menstrual cycles impact their mental health condition or exacerbating it, or even maybe being, you know, the root cause of some of their symptoms. And then I suffered with the perimenopause when I was in my sort of late 30s, early 40s. And I went to my GP with lots Lots of different symptoms. I didn't know it was the perimenopause and neither did they. And I must have been five, six, seven times to my GP with lots of different things. And it was never linked together. And I actually joined all the dots eventually after reading around the subject. I was given lots of different medication. And I was like, no, that's not right. That's not the cause of what's going on here. I knew something was not quite right. And that being under-recognized by healthcare professionals and, you know, the lack of awareness with GPs and uh, education and training in it, I started doing my own research. And then I started doing some courses. And then I eventually did my advanced certificate with the British Menopause Society. And then I spent a long time at University College London with an amazing BMS trainer to get my specialist qualifications. So. That's where I am now. Conversations Mm -hmm. that I have with my friends, it's like, do we all have to suffer? Can any of us get through this? I want to be the person that's like, I didn't even know I was going through it and it was fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Deluded. But do we have to suffer? Absolutely not. And when I said that, I guess that's more in relation to my personal experience. So about 25% of women experience severe symptoms of the perimenopause or menopause. And I guess I was one of those. And in my clinic, I probably see that 25% who are really struggling. But, you know, there's 75% of us who are absolutely not an issue in their lives whatsoever. Their symptoms are very mild and the duration of their symptoms can be very short. And there's a lot you can do yourself to adjust your lifestyle and having a positive attitude to your health. You can definitely take control of this period and navigate the transition from our reproductive years to our non-reproductive years. So no, it definitely doesn't have to be suffering. And sorry, I don't want to put the menopause as as something to be concerned about or worry about coming up ahead for some women. It's definitely not. But it's important. It's really important to be aware of what potentially might happen. So that if these things do arise, then you're completely aware that you can take control. There are different ways to address it. Very holistically, complementary lifestyle or using hormone replacement therapy or non-hormone replacement therapy. So you have a lot of choice about how you can manage this time if you wish to. So I think it's that awareness. We feel like we're coming out of an age of darkness when we've all sort of opened our ears to what's going on with menopause and women's sort of experiences over the years. And we're now talking about it, which is absolutely amazing because that's the key. And educating younger women and girls and teenagers about the different parts of our reproductive cycle over the years. We talk about puberty to our children and young girls and boys, but we don't necessarily talk about menopause. And it's just another stage of life, a natural stage of life that we just need to be aware of. So could you just share like 101, 
what is the menopause? So the menopause is actually the term refers to medically 12 months after your last menstrual period. So it's just a point in time. Literally, that is what the menopause means medically. But we now in the public, we refer to it as the period of time leading up to our sort of last menstrual period and the time afterwards. The perimenopause is the leading up bit time. The menopause is actually that point where you stop your periods and then postmenopausally is after that stop in menstrual cycle. Every woman is born with a certain number of eggs in our ovaries. And every month, some of those follicles develop. Generally, just one goes on to develop and we ovulate and release an egg for potential pregnancy. And over the years, the amount of eggs within our ovaries decline. And the menopause is when that number is so low that our reproductive years are sort of coming to an end and we're going to a different part of our life. I know there are a lot, but kind of what are the most (laughs) common symptoms somebody would start to experience in the lead up? So you mentioned uh, my periods might become irregular. What Mm. other symptoms could I experience? So the perimenopause is that time where symptoms start emerging due to estrogen decline in general. There's three hormones in our reproductive system that we look at. So estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. The general trend is that the levels are on decline and actually testosterone starts declining a lot earlier than the other two. However, during the perimenopause, those symptoms can be really up and down or sort of that hormone release can be very erratic or it can be up and down depending on whether or not we ovulate. So the symptoms that we might experience are really different for everyone and we all present in different ways. So someone might, their first recognition of something that might be going on, although they might be perimenopause, might be a change in their menstrual cycle. So the flow might be heavier or periods might become irregular. Some women have absolutely bang on 28 periods, but right up until they just don't have one again. So it's not always linked to changes in the menstrual cycle. It could be the very typical vasomotor symptoms like starting to get night sweats or feeling warm at night or during the day, sort of having flushing of warmth. So those are really typical changes that we associate with the menopause. But actually, there's lots of symptoms that we might not associate with a perimenopause or menopause transition. And so the psychological symptoms are one of those groups. So anxiety, low mood, changes to our concentration, changes to our focus, brain fog type symptoms, so sort of short term memory, word finding might become a bit trickier. Then there's a group of symptoms called the genitory urinary syndrome of the menopause or GSM. And that's all linked to the area of our bladder and our vagina and our vulva and our pelvic floor. So some women experience, they might notice that they start going to the toilet more often or waking up in the night passing urine or, you know, there's vaginal dryness. There's discomfort maybe when having a smear test or during penetration or intercourse or general dryness. And then there's other things like migraines can become a problem or headaches, particularly around those highs and those low periods within the menstrual 28-day cycle on average. Ovulation generally takes place around day between 11 and 14, so middle of the month. And there's a peak in estrogen then. And that's for some women that can cause headaches, more headaches or nausea or migraines. And also just before our cycle, there's a big dip and that can cause more PMS symptoms or more severe premenstrual tension symptoms, such as sort of irritability, rage, anger, changes to concentration, changes to our appetite and then physical symptoms like bloating and breast tenderness maybe those symptoms become more prominent and then there's really unusual symptoms that we wouldn't necessarily associate with the perimenopause at all like tinnitus the ringing in our ears or sort of muscular aches and pains 
there's a whole range of symptoms that are associated with changes to our hormones. So somebody may be experiencing some of those symptoms, then what mm. do they do? Say if they've gone, okay, well, let me just start to track. Let me just start mm. to make a diary of my symptoms mm. and they can start to see a pattern. Do they go to the doctor? Like what's the next step? So that's quite an individual choice. I would say if you start noticing some symptoms, educate yourself, read up about what's going on in your body, what the effects are of sort of declining estrogen. There are some effects on our future health that's really important to know, particularly around bone density decline and cardiovascular risk, which is important to adjust your lifestyle to make sure that you're looking after your future health as much as possible. And then really thinking about those symptoms and thinking, what is the impact on my life? Can I manage them by improving my diet? Can I manage them by exercising more, improving my overall well-being and sort of my motivation and my energy levels? That's the other things. Energy and tiredness is a really big thing for a lot of women that comes on during the perimenopause. And whether or not those symptoms are debilitating or stopping you from doing or leading the life that you want to do, or if you want to to treat those symptoms, then go to your GP or your healthcare provider to try and find some good advice and guidance around what your options are. Okay, so my understanding is one of those options is HRT. So hormone replacement therapy essentially means that the hormones that we produce by our ovaries and then small amounts in our brain, we're adding back those hormones or topping them back up so that we are relieving or improving the symptoms that you might be experiencing. So resolving those symptoms by adding a little bit more of those hormones to prevent those symptoms from emerging. So essentially, that's what hormone replacement therapy is. And it's those three hormones that we talked about. So it's estrogen, progesterone and testosterone are the hormones that we use. And there's different types of HRT, and that's spell out the difference between body identical hormone replacement therapy and bio identical hormone replacement therapy, because there's a big difference in them. And it's really quite confusing. So body identical HRT are regulated medicinal products by the MHRA within the UK. So they've been through their stringent testing, they've been through clinical trials, we're very aware of their risks, their benefits, what doses to use, and that's body identical. And they are the new generation of hormone replacement therapy that we have now, and we're using first line within the UK. And they are the same chemical compound or hormones that are produced by our ovaries. So 17 beta estradiol is the body identical estrogen that we apply through the skin. Or micronized progesterone is the body identical progesterone that we use as a HRT product and testosterone. There's another group of hormones called bioidentical treatment, which they're not regulated medicinal products, food supplements. So they're not regulated in any way. So we don't necessarily know their safety or their efficacy. So it's really important to have an understanding, particularly if you're looking at healthcare providers external to the NHS, that you're aware of the differences between the regulated body identical HRT and the unregulated bioidentical HRT. And is it either or? Do you have HRT and lifestyle or is it a combination of both? The best approach is always a holistic view. So using hormone replacement therapy, it's very effective treatment. It does improve a lot of symptoms for a lot of women. It's not the panacea for everyone. We know the impact on our hormones isn't just by loss of hormones. 
We know that stress has a big impact on our hormones, but also we know that different lifestyle factors affect the severity of our symptoms. So if you're very stressed, you're overworked, you know, you're juggling, that can really affect the severity of your symptoms and how you respond to treatment. If your diet isn't great, if you're eating ultra processed food all the time, we know that has a significant impact on our mental well-being, our general physical fitness. And if you're not exercising and bringing the whole holistic approach to your physical health, then that's definitely the best way. And for a lot of women who who might experience only very mild symptoms of the perimenopause and menopause, for those women who decide, actually, I'm going to have a go without using HRT, then they can improve a lot of the symptoms and their general well-being through diet, exercise, reducing stress, just giving yourself a bit of time and a bit of care and attention is really important. Along the same line, HRT for some women is hugely important to improve their quality of life. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage. It is really, really simple. All you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the Gob for Good website at gobforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry. You could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. When people come to you, what themes do you see? Do you think, oh, they always come to me at like this sort of time, like this mm. is this, the main symptom that draws people to me? So I guess my my clinical background is psychiatry. So that's my sort of specialism within the specialism. So I specialize within optimizing HRT because obviously I'm a consultant pharmacist. So I'm an expert in the medicines and what's going on with those, but also then the mental health side of things and the psychological symptoms of the perimenopause and menopause that are prominent. So the anxiety, the depressions, those are the things that get other people's attention, not just your own. So your friends and your family start to get concerned about you. We know that the impact of mental health or the severity of mental health symptoms, you know, there's around five to seven percent feelings of suicide ideation within the severe cohort of women. So it's a significant burden on our health. Anxiety seems to be one of the prominent symptoms that women actually say, okay, enough's enough. I, I really need to get some help here because it's impacting my relationships. It's stopping me from living the life I want to do, whether that is suddenly feeling really worried about driving a car or within a woman's career, suddenly not feeling confident enough to stand up and do presentations or public speaking or be working at executive level within boards. And just, you know, that confidence can be really knocked. The other one is is the brain fog. So particularly so many more women within the workforce nowadays. And with this many women of menopausal age in our 50s and 60s still working because the age of retirement has gone up and we, we need to be contributing financially to our families that the brain fog symptoms are really impacting our ability to feel that we're doing our jobs as well as we can be. So that's another big one. And then I'd say it's 
PMS, women saying, I feel like I turn into a really angry monster for two days before my period. And I argue with my family and my husband and my kids or my partner. That's really prominent. Those are definitely the symptoms. But in terms of where women are, they generally, when they get to me, they've tried some lifestyle adjustments. They've tried to fit in more exercise. So I try and eat healthier. They're still struggling with a bit of weight management or they've bought hundreds of pounds worth of supplements that haven't really done very much. And then they go, I actually, you know, need to address this medically now. It's individual, but generally it's, Whatever is that trigger for a person to say, actually, the impact is now affecting me and other people around me or my ability to do my job or my ability to be a good parent or partner or mum or daughter, you know, to care give. So whatever that is, that that trigger is. I'm talking about natural menopause here. For someone who's had surgical menopause, they've had a hysterectomy or they've maybe gone through chemotherapy. Their physical symptoms or their vasomotor symptoms can go from, you know, not being symptomatic prior to treatment to being very symptomatic. And that's very acute change and they can be quite severe symptoms. It really does depend on the lady sat in the consultation. But generally through natural menopause, it's anything that's really impacting our relationships or ability to work, really. And that's generally anxiety, psychological symptoms, brain fog, PMS or migraines is the other horrible one when you're getting a lot of migraines every month triggered by your hormones. That's really debilitating. When you mentioned your perimenopausal symptoms, Mm. how did you manage your work commitments? Actually, it hit me at a a bit of an unusual time. So I I was working in the NHS and senior leadership, and I didn't know I was perimenopausal and I was in my late 30s. My symptoms weren't that bad. I was just started sweating at night. My PMS probably was one of the first symptoms that started to present. And I I had no idea it was perimenopause. But actually, at the same time as all of that, I had secondary infertility after my first daughter at 33. So we had seven years of trying to, to get to my second daughter who had it 40. So we ended up having several rounds of IVF. But actually, we ended up having an egg donation IVF round, which was really successful. But during that treatment, before we had the implantation, the insertion of of the fertilized egg, I had a maximum dose of estrogen patches as my treatment to plump up my uterus. And I felt absolutely amazing. Suddenly I wasn't aching. My night sweats had gone away. And I just remember, I really vividly remember in the shower going, oh my God, I feel great. What's going on? (laughs) And I had these patches on my thighs and my tummy. And I was like, oh my God, I feel amazing. This is great. And I didn't associate it with the patch. I was just thought, oh, you know, I'm just really excited about the potential pregnancy and, you know, things are really good. Then I got pregnant, which was amazing. So my estrogen was really high. Then had my daughter um, and obviously you get a massive dip and I was breastfeeding for about six months or so six to nine months afterwards and then you're in that really low estrogen state anyway which I knew and so all those sweats and all those things came back and then I gave up breastfeeding my menstrual cycle returned very heavily but I started getting quite physical symptoms of anxiety so I would just be walking up my stairs 
And I'd get this flow of fear, heart palpitations, and it was just like this rush of cortical, and then it would be gone within seconds, and then night sweats and everything. So actually, I wasn't working at okay. at the time when it, those symptoms became really prominent, but I was trying to look after a very young child and a, another daughter, and my relationship with my husband was awful because I was just turned into the PMS monster, and I had quite severe GSM symptoms. So when I had my first Mia after pregnancy it was awful absolutely awful and penetration was uncomfortable I was weeing like four times a night and so it wasn't great I don't think I would have been able to to do the job I was doing necessarily if I did have all that going on you know I wasn't particularly sleeping well so I was sweating constantly waking up going to the night I was just juggling a child as well so I just put it all down to that for a really long time I had all these classic symptoms. I'd walk into a ring going, why am I here? What's your name? I can't remember your name. I know you really well. I can't remember your name. (laughs) Or having a conversation, trying to remember professionally names of drugs that I would have prescribed for years or recommended or, you know, all that type of thing. It would have been really tricky. Need to get somebody on to discuss, you know, like from an employer's point of Mm. view, like what things can we put in place to support the majority of, especially if you work in like a hospital trust or community trust, you'll have a big workforce that will need Mm. some support. Well, actually saying that I went back after I did all my menopause training, I said, right, come on. And I knew that the director of HR said, I need to do this for everyone. I've ran lots of sessions back at the NHS Trust. It's really important. And managing women, it's important to be able to have that awareness of what's going on, be able to support the women, how they feel that they need the support within the workplace is really, is hugely important, whether that's recognising that the symptoms are impacting their ability to do their job or just having that sort of empathy in the workplace is really important. I definitely remember Obviously, I was a line manager as well for a long time. I remember a lady who was probably 12, 15 years my senior who I was line managing quite a while ago who's saying, oh, yeah, I'm really struggling with the menopause. And this is about 10 years ago. And I said, oh, gosh, is everything OK? Are you getting treatment for that? And she's like, oh, well, no one can really give me much advice. I said, oh, gosh, that's really bad. And I couldn't really go further than that because I didn't know anything about it. Yeah really important for employers to be able to have that that support you know we all need the menopause in the workplace support now is there additional time to take off or have appointments or to reorganize your day to support your energy and how it changes throughout the day Mm. do menopause policies reflect things like that or not really I think they are starting to, yeah. So the ones I've read at employers that I go into and do sort of menopause training and awareness with and clinical support for their staff, they can adjust hours, reduce hours if, if necessary without it being round upon, you know. I think we are getting a lot better at that, thankfully. And there's some really good, interesting survey results around the impact of the menopause in the workplace. Sort of the statistics are about, about 60% of women experience issues that impacts their work abilities. And we recognise that the women of menopausal age or perimenopausal age, it's the fastest growing population within the workplace because of the changes to retirement age. 
I think it was something like the number of women working post 60 has gone from 19% to 41 or 2% now. So, you know, we're a big group of population. The other age range is obviously plus 50, which, you know, nearly 50% of women are working at that age where before it was a lot less statistics around that. We have to be accommodating and aware of what's going on because we can't not be supporting women. We need them in the economy, in the workforce, and we want them to be supported and not to experience issues or barriers to be able to fulfill their careers or just general health. Where would you signpost people to educate? Where should we go? What a reputable site along with your own? Where do we get the information from? Obviously, I'm a big supporter of the British Menopause Society and they have a patient arm called the Women's Health Concern and they have great resources there. There are some other charities, particularly if you experience an early menopause, for example, there's a DAISY network. So the British Menopause Society and Women's Health Concern are brilliant places of information. Try and get some unbiased information that's not necessarily linked to a private clinic. And if I was only going to remember one thing from this conversation, what would you want that thing to be? Think of the perimenopause and menopause as a period of opportunity in your life. A, think about your future. So think about how to live a healthy and longer life for as much as we can. So thinking about the changes that are happening as part of the menopause that impact our future health. So think of it as, as an opportunity to improve your current situation, to improve your lifestyle, you know, your nutrition. The other thing is about community. The more that we talk about it, the more we support each other. That's hugely important. And we know that a bit of problem shared is a problem half, but it's supporting women with other women is, is crucial. And just raising awareness and not being embarrassed to, to say, actually, I am struggling or I'm not struggling. And everyone's experience is so different. So just come from a place of non-judgment because you might have breezed through your perimenopause, but someone else might not be. They might be that 5% who's actually having suicidal thoughts going through their minds. Be really open and non-judgmental, I would say. And it doesn't matter if you use HRT or not. What matters is that you're doing the best you can physically and mentally for your health, doing what's right for you. Don't compare yourself to other people. And if people want to learn more about you and get in touch with you, where is the best place to contact you? Okay, so I'm on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. So we have a website called themenopausespecialist.com. You can sign up to our newsletter for more information about the menopause or you can yep, follow us on Instagram and I sort of do lots of posts about information. We're very lifestyle based as well, not just from the medical side of things. So we give information about boosting your dietary calcium to improve your bone density, for example, what weight bearing exercises we should be doing looking at different other diet or well-being things that we can improve in our life just to support our general health but also information about HRT and hormones and the role and what they do in our bodies and why we miss them. Thank you so so much I really appreciate your time. You're very welcome Tara. so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review 
I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.